The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Hollinger and Duncan is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Welcome on to Hollinger and Duncan. We have much to discuss here after another crazy week of NBA playoff action. We're going to go through all four of the series that are going on right now and also do some of our usual stuff like picking a playoff MVP and first team all playoffs. Maybe we'll even talk about worst team all playoffs, which uh, which might be interesting Yeah, if if we can get to that. But I think... Where we have to start, of course, is with the seismic events in that Milwaukee and Miami series. You wrote a long piece about that uh, on Mike Budenholzer, and I think that could be a good jumping off point for us to discuss some of the issues in the series. Yeah, and uh, for those who haven't read my story on The Athletic, um, I went pretty deep on his his track record in the playoffs and some of the things he's done in this series. And it's interesting to me because I think he's definitely made some mistakes but I also think he's getting dunked on for some things that maybe he shouldn't be. Um, it's really interesting to me that Eric Spolstra has adopted the exact same minute strategy with his best players, and nobody's talking about it. Um, hey, hey, no, I saw you tweet that, and I was like, I just talked about that on my live show. <laughs> I'm the only other person who's talking about it. <laughs> I'm sorry. One other person <laughs> has been talking about that. But. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's true, right? Now, I I guess that they've been in the commanding position in the series, so they can afford to do that a little bit more. There isn't that impetus to adjust necessarily. Uh, but no, it's true. And obviously, they've gotten a ton out of Jimmy Butler at the end of games. And that's been a big part of their success, perhaps in part because how judicious they've been with his minutes. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Budenholzer kind of turned around and and flipped the script on himself by playing Chris Middleton so much this last game when they were down 3-0. It was like, okay. His, oh, his that, quote that, afterwards must have just been infuriating to Bucks fans about how, well, you know, when the chips are really down, you got to play your, was, you know, yeah. some trope like that. I, it was, that must have After been After like, game three saying, well, I don't really see how you could go past 36 minutes with these guys. Um, and his history is that he has gone past 36 with, with them and gone way past 36 when he was in Atlanta. So... I wonder if there's something specific about these guys that he he thinks they just get tired too quickly or I mean certainly I mean there are the counter argument you can make is that Middleton did seem to run out of gas in the fourth quarter when they tried to play him the whole half. Um yeah, well you don't have to play the whole half, right? So like Giannis before he went out 
the broadcast did a good job of catching that after he had like one of those crazy full court attacks, which are very exhausting. If you've never tried one of those, by the way, uh, he asked out of the game with, you know, what, whatever it was, maybe seven minutes into the game. But to me, I think you can just say, all right, Giannis, come back out. And then whenever you say that you are ready to go back in, we're going to bring you back in. We don't need to now sit you for like 15 minutes uh, in real time. You can still get a guy a blow and get him back in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've also been interested that they seem to have had their best players marooned at the scorer's table for unusually long amounts of time. <laughs> I, I haven't formally kept track of this, but have you noticed this? That's shocking considering how much they've fouled. They've provided plenty of stoppages <laughs> to get guys into the game. But every time without fail, I see Giannis get up to go to the table. There's like two minutes of, of no whistles. What is it called when someone is like, hey, there's a lot of red cars around. And then all of a sudden you notice every red car that goes by. Like that yeah. could be an example of that, right? Where there's so much focus on the minutes and it's like, where is he? Where is he? When is he going to get yeah. come back in? They're getting their ass kicked right now. Sure. And so I think maybe we just notice it now when you wouldn't before. Yeah. Um, with all that said, the defining element of this series has been that the Bucks starters have gotten their asses kicked by Miami starters. Yeah. So that they've actually played pretty decently in the no Giannis, no Middleton minutes. Now you could argue they should have won those minutes because Butler wasn't playing either. So maybe... Maybe, maybe that could be the argument, but I, I think the bigger critique of Budenholzer, if you're going to go this way, has to do more with scheme and how they play this Miami team in general and less with just the specifics of the minutes for the two stars. No, I, I agree with you uh, on that one. I mean, I think there is just a, it does seem like there is, and I don't know, you feel free to push back at me uh, on this one because you've been closer to coaching situations. You talk to more people around the league, but it does seem like there is a little bit of an arrogance to Mike Budenholzer's coaching where he does what he believes is going to work. And of course, in the regular season, it does, right? That arrogance is well earned where, mm -hmm. all right, fine. We're going to rest guys. We're going to not play Giannis. Fuck it. We're still going to win, you know, and, and, and we're still going to blow people out. And yeah, you know what? Like Giannis played 32 minutes a game. And he's still going to win MVP. And we still had one of the best regular seasons in NBA history. And then it seems like, when he finally does change, it's like, okay, you wanted to see this? Well, you're gonna fucking see it now. I'm gonna play Middleton the whole half. Yeah. Or yeah. Oh, you oh, you wanted to see Giannis on Jimmy Butler? Okay, we're gonna go with that now. Even though that's a criticism that to me never made sense because Giannis can't get through a screen and he's their best help defender. So why are you gonna put him on Jimmy Butler? And that didn't work, obviously. Although I thought that was a little overblown. It was only a few possessions and I think yeah. he stopped him once and forced he stopped, him to he got, really he hard. He got a back tap steal on one. He kind of forced him into a bad shot on another. And then Butler scored maybe on two others, I think. Yeah, and one of those was like an incredible hook shot that he made over Giannis and Brooke Lopez. So, yes. Um, yes. But, but but I thought the theory of that didn't really make a ton of sense, particularly when you had Wes Matthews on the bench who has had this terrible plus minus. But also, like, if you just watch, he's the guy who's uh, easily to me – the one guy who just hasn't been totally overpowered by Butler. So yeah. I, I don't know what, what you make of that because the stats are bad. Maybe he's hurting their offense, but um, I don't know. But but generally, it's just that general observation about Bud. I mean, what do you think of that? Am I being unfair? I, I don't think so. I, th I actually think that's maybe a little bit common in coaching that, that when – when something is really pushed on them from the outside, it's when they finally do it, it's done with a sense of F you and it's not, it's, it's not really done out of, uh, 
what can I say out of out of like a pure emo- pure reasoning or uh, or you know or the interest of the situation? It's just like, all right, you're going to criticize me for this, then I'll do. It. I mean, I certainly I, I I and other people who worked in the league can share other examples of this. Um, as it's just a natural human thing, I think that you you have your certain things and you believe in, and it's hard like. Human nature is when other people tell you the thing you're doing is wrong, you get more dug in on it. And so uh, that that criticism from the outside in some ways can be unhelpful because when, when the coach does do it, you're right. It's like in, in FU mode. It's not out of out of the pure interest of the situation. Well, I, and, the, and they don't do it in a smart, judicious way that actually would get the best results sometimes yeah, uh, as a result yeah. of that. Yeah, exactly. I also think, though, that the the bigger criticism is that I think they're a little inflexible and a little fragile because of that, in that they never really gave themselves the ability to play in multiple ways. And you see that mostly with the drop coverage. I mean, like, the entire reason to sign Marvin Williams is so you can switch everything in the playoffs, right? Yep. I mean, I, I don't want to say the entire reason, but I mean, like, the the differential between him and Ursan Elisova is that, right? And so... Yeah. Uh, or, or to play a more aggressive pick-and-roll coverage out on the yeah. floor. Like, what, so, you, use his mobility. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, he can hit shots. That's great. But it's like, you know, having him in a drop coverage somewhat negates the purpose of him. I totally agree with that. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, and, and I mean, they're playing him a lot of minutes, too. Um, yeah. I... I, I thought it was a little odd that they turned so sharply to him to have him playing 20 minutes a game and not being willing to slide up Giannis to five and Middleton to four instead. Uh, because the, a lot of those minutes didn't go really great for them. And it just felt like they had enough perimeter depth to handle them with, with their wings, even though their wings aren't, aren't great. Maybe I, I, I thought they'd give him a little more off offensively than Williams was. I mean, Williams is just basically a stationary, you know, thirty-five percent three-point shooter at this point. Yeah, I think I, I think he, I I trust him more as a shooter than like your Pat Connaughton's and your Divincenzos of the world. Uh, I'll agree with you on Connaughton, uh, <laughs> who, by the way, took a horrible shot in the in the uh, was it the fourth quarter where he took that like oh, early three from like five feet beyond the line with the early clock. It was like, no, I mean, Whoa. some of the ones that he's taking, Matthews has taken some terrible ones. Like they're, they're overall, I, I, and I mean, there's a lot of things we can say about the Bucks. I do have one, another question that I think has been under discussed, but uh, I mean, I think they've gotten at times to that defense that was really caused people problems, but they fouled still, right? Like they gave up only two shots of the room the first half in game four. Mm-hmm. Um, even with Giannis only playing 11 minutes and, but then they foul a bunch, you know, and, and Miami is still right in the game. So like they, they're, they sort of are getting back to Bucks basketball, but then, you know, there are just these not matching up in transition. They're like Milwaukee or Miami is generally played harder than them in the series. You have these just terrible three pointers where it's another one of these ones where it's like, Oh, Hey, we're taking three pointers now. Right. Like that's what we're doing. That's uh. That's whatever is all the rage. So go ahead, Pat Connaughton. Even though your feet aren't set, take a twenty-seven footer out of a pick and pop uh, with uh, twenty-three point five seconds on the shot clock. Like, uh, <laughs> See, I, you know, I feel like the actually, I actually feel like the Bucks have taken those shots all year. Right, but I mean that's those guys. Are, we're not talking about Clay Thompson here uh, yeah. on this team, yeah. right? Like, unless your name's Kyle Korver, 
you probably shouldn't be taking those shots. Um, and then their overall strategy on offense. I mean, how the number of times that you just have all these guards in the dunker spot. Now, it, I do th- kind of like the idea of, hey, like if you have to have someone in the dunker spot, if it's a guard, then the primary help defender is another guard and he can't do anything mm-hmm. and, while we space out Brooke Lopez to the corner. But why not just have it totally open instead? I mean, these like George yeah. Hill and DiVincenzo are supposed to be like good shooters. Those guys are, are living on, on the baseline. It's really weird. Um, and then Giannis's passing to me hasn't been good. I mean, that's the thing I think that maybe, you know, everyone wants to blame someone other than Giannis in this, it seems like. And mm-hmm. he hasn't been close to good enough in a number of areas. He himself is almost like a caricature of this Bucks team where he has these incredible strengths that if you can't deal with those strengths, you are just going to get completely destroyed. But if you can deal with those strengths, all of a sudden he and the Bucks team are very vulnerable. And we saw that in the Toronto series last year when Kawhi switched on to him. And we saw it in the regular season when they played Miami. I mean, people forget Miami beat them both games that Jimmy Butler played. So I don't know if we're seeing like as big a diversion between regular season bucks and playoff bucks as this is, this is a bad matchup for them and, and was going to be that way going in. Now I, I still think they should be, they should be winning because I think they just have more overall talent, but it hasn't played out that way so far. Well, so that tra- gives me a chance here. Let, actually, let's take a quick break, and then then we can talk about just how good this Miami team is. Helix Sleep was the second sponsor that I have ever had, and usually the way it works is sponsors come to you and say that they want to be on the show. I actually reached out to them and said, I want to advertise your product because I believe in it that much, and obviously the best ads are products that you not only believe in but use every day and that's the story with helix sleep my wife and i got a helix sleep mattress after filling out their two minute sleep quiz and we're getting the best sleep of our lives we have since 2015 i recommend helix sleep to everyone in both my public and private life but you don't have to take my word for it helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by gq wired magazine and apartment therapy the way to get started with them go to helixsleep.com slash per john invented per take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life you can do it worry free too because they have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights and they are offering their best ever deal i would know since they've been a sponsor for five years now up to 200 off all mattress orders that's helixsleep.com slash per for up to 200 dollars off don't forget that slash per to let them know that you came from us what's up sports fans matt peck here host of locked on bulls and i want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast huge fan is a new serious xm original podcast where stars talk sports each week join host lachina robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories game day rituals the most heated rivalries and more And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. 
So that's the question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, this Miami team came into the bubble. They looked really good. A lot of people were kind of talking about that. I mean, seven out of, out of 17 ESPN experts. And I give them a lot of credit for that. Cause I was, I had bucks and five in this series. That's way wrong. Uh, picked the heat to actually win this series. They were not bucks believers. And I said, all right, you know, this team is looking good. Miami, they've got some guys they are playing differently, but you know, they weren't like total world beaters in the regular season. And Jimmy yeah. Butler to me is like the 15th best player in the NBA. Is this team, you know, just a bad matchup for the Bucs, but it's kind of your average four seed? Or is this like, you know, some like awesome team that, you know, nobody realized that, right? Like, how is, I guess we'll put it this way. Like, how is this loss to Miami going to look in the end? Is this going to be like LeBron losing to the 2010 Celtics and they lose in game seven of the finals? Or is this Miami team just going to get worked in the next round? Um. I think it's uh going to look more like the Spurs losing to Memphis in 2012. Um I mean this is a or, good or t- team. 2011. 2011, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, they had a plus 3 scoring margin on the season even with being like basically healthy. Like they, you know, they have two all-star, I mean one true all-star, one yeah, kind of all-star player. I mean, I guess Bam you would say. I mean, given how good he is in the the defensively and the switching and everything. I just think it's a great matchup for them. I, you know, their, their biggest vulnerability at the defensive end is that their guards struggle to contain the dribble and there's just nobody on Milwaukee who's going to make them pay for that. Um, or, you know, Eric Bledsoe can occasionally make them pay and occasionally make a, a horrible decision that makes you wish he hadn't tried. And then, uh, you know, I think, I think tactically, uh, they're very, they're a high three point team, even though their two best players never take them, which is really weird. Um, yeah. and I think that sort of turns Milwaukee's base defense against it. And again, Milwaukee, they, they never really gave themselves a plan B during the regular season for how they play. It's so hard to change your defense in the middle of the playoffs that you, you need to have different things in your toolkit. And we see this in the Toronto Boston series where, Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse are pulling all kinds of stuff out of their ass, but it's because it's all stuff they've done during the regular season. Like their team knows how to do it because they've done it before. And so, and in contrast, last year, I think when the Bucks did try some switching against Kawhi, it went horribly because they just had never done it. No, I, I think you're right there. And yeah, I think this Miami team, you know, Butler, all right, it, he did some pretty good stuff one-on-one at the end of game one, but overall, I think he's not... You know, if you look at the primary creators who are going to beat a switch, I don't know if Jimmy Butler is like close to the top of that list for me. And with all the shooting and all that off ball stuff that Miami runs, like this is a team that is ripe for switching against them. And yeah. in addition, they switch it on the other end as well. But yeah, the Bucks just have never tried that. And I mean, it's also tough too, because Brooke Lopez is one of their three best players. And so. To just be like, hey, we're going to take him off the floor and go with Marvin Williams instead so we can switch everything. I mean, uh, and I mean, Brooke Lopez was probably, you know, uh, uh, the third on a lot of smart people's ballots for defensive player of the year. And he's also playing well offensively. So you're kind of like, do we really want to take this guy out of there? This is, uh, you know, it's, he's really core to what we're doing. But I think you might have wanted to just change up and, and have that different look and see how it goes. And then if that's working really well, you could close with that potentially. Um I also think this this team is just they don't play smart enough like they really they kind of just have the things that they do and they just make a lot of mistakes 
Like they're not a good passing team. Like I, I mean, they have a lot of kind of not that smart players. I would say who are in their rotation who make a lot of mistakes. Even you know their vet, like George Hill, has this reputation as a vet. Like he makes a lot of mistakes. Bledsoe mm-hmm. obviously is a disaster at times. Mm-hmm. Brooke Lopez can't pass at all. Like he's not really oh a he, particularly like smart when he guy. decides he is shooting. That dude is one hundred percent shooting. It's been it's yeah. been kind of amazing the last couple of games. Um, I mean, he's, a, he's able to score pretty effectively when he does, but it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's almost like, I don't know if, I don't know if you remember Kevin McHale, how like once he started a post move, like that, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, yeah. You know, I actually do remember Kevin McHale, a Hall of Famer. It's, yeah. uh, 1980s. Yeah. Yeah. 67 yeah you were, you remember him as like the coach of the T-Wolves though, right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So. I don't know. Well, let's talk about where the series is at going forward. My thought, at least as of now, is Giannis isn't going to play. Like, given this is the second injury, he's in a walking boot. There's no way I thought that he could have continued, given how he looked and his, like, violent way of playing. I agree with that. And I do think if he tried to come back on it, well, one, the risk of re-injury, and two— um, it could end up one of those situations where the guy tries to come back and you kind of wish he hadn't because he ends up being that bad. Um, especially with like, like Giannis isn't going to shoot, right? Like he has to be able to explode and be athletic out there or he's, he's just a guy, right? Yeah. I mean, he could definitely still give them something defensively at a minimum, I would say. And yeah, maybe, maybe he can try to post up a little bit more or something but yeah i mean with all those crazy euro steps that he does he's played on ankle sprains pretty effectively before though which is a surprise to me given the violence with which he moves but um i mean i think more so just from a hey this i you know Giannis is going to want to come back and play i think and you could probably speak to this more than me but i would imagine that the people around him like his agent if he sees that like the bucks put him out there in still kind of a no hope situation in game five where he can get re-injured and mess up his career, that that's not going to play well with maybe his advisors, if not Giannis himself. Yeah, I would be, I would be very careful about this if I were the Bucks, just because of the, the long-term implications here. Yeah. The a hundred percent agree. And I mean, certainly I like, I can't imagine him playing in game five. I, we haven't heard anything about what the severity of the sprain is, but I mean, normally, even if it's a, Grade two, which I almost have to think it's it's at least that. I mean, you're talking about a couple week injury, so yeah. Realistically, we're probably not going to see him the rest of this series, and even if they miraculously won three in a row, I'm not sure if we'd see him the next series. That that would be my anticipation. That you know, at least the next couple of games. But if you are Miami and he doesn't play Game Five, are you treating that Game Five kind of like it's a Game Seven because he might come back the next game? Or are you still like, hey, we got three chances to win this still? Because if that's, it gets to three two and Giannis comes back, yeah, I mean, <sighs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, I think, I think you certainly just want to want to, you know, want to want to kick them while they're down and get this thing closed. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't give them any life. Don't give them any more opportunities. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would probably lean toward playing it that way. Now they, I mean, it's been pretty interesting. I mean, they've basically played seven guys and kept about six of them around 30 to 35 minutes. Um, you wonder if at some point they ramp that up a little bit for, uh, for their top couple guys for, for Butler and Bam, especially. Do you want to talk about 
the future here for the Milwaukee Bucks and what what I think, is I think we have to I mean it's staring them right in the face right I mean I think you have to talk about the past before you talk about the future right like last yeah. off season put them in a situation where again everything looked totally fine in the regular in the regular season but not having that guard who could attack Miami off the dribble I mean what, what's that, that guy's name again uh I believe he went to the finest university in the nation um, but it's not Joe Harris and it's not Justin Anderson, uh, and it's not Kyle guy. Um, oh, Malcolm Brogdon. That's who I'm thinking of. Um, DeAndre Hunter conspicuous by his absence <laughs> on that list. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, they, I think they've really missed him in this series. I think the decision to play pay Bledsoe. Instead of him, uh, it's no knock on Bledsoe. I mean, Bledsoe, when he's good, is a really high-level defensive player, um, but just hasn't shown well in any of his uh, playoff series, really, except maybe the second round against Boston last year. And I so still they, thought that was a good a good move at the time. And it, there's no rule that says you had to yeah, pick one or the other. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I thought you you know they used their. They're mid-level on Robin Lopez, which I I think was a mistake. He, I mean, he played a lot, but he wasn't that good. It and is he's been, is uh it really uh, using it on a guy who's been totally inactive in this series? That's a problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so I I just I just think they you know in the offseason, and then they did George Hill's deal in just such a way that they couldn't get generate a ten million dollar trade exception. For Brogdon, that they could have turned around and used at the trade deadline too. So uh, I, th- I thought they hurt themselves last off season, and then that's going to you know have important implications for what happens this off season. Is is Giannis going to turn down the supermax, or is he going to you know is he going to string him along with a series of one plus ones, or or what's what's going to happen here? Uh, I think it's a really interesting question. I wonder how much the current situation. With the you know the virus and the league's revenues plays into that because the max is a percentage of the salary cap, right? So does he does he decide to just extend his deal long enough to take him to the ten year status and then make himself unrestricted again in in year ten and maybe the cap is higher then? Uh, yeah, I mean there's there's so much here uh, to talk about. Uh, I think another thing, if you want to talk about the past, is they signed him to a four year deal rather than the five year deal. And they did that to get him at a little bit less than the max again, you know, to kind of now they were totally screwed in terms of all of their sour 16s that they signed and like, you know, John Henson's extension, all that. But yeah. they, they got off of that money as it turned out. T- Tony uh, but, Snell would like a word here too. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I mean, I, to me, if you have a player like that, Get him for the fifth you, you year. Have to, you have yeah. to try to get him for the fifth year. Absolutely. Yeah, and I said that at the time, by the way. So this is not. Uh, this is not. Hindsight is twenty twenty. At least in this particular case. So, and if I were advising Giannis, I would tell him to leave post haste because the Brogdon thing at the time maybe it was defensible. They got a first and two seconds, and they got some more flexibility, and then everything was going great in the regular season. And so you could say, all right, maybe it wasn't going to kill them, but clearly it did. Clearly, this group is even before the pandemic wasn't going to pay a lot, and uh, you know, wasn't going to pay the tax in almost certainly. Yeah. Uh, there's always some excuse like, oh, you know, Brogdon, he's he's got this injury history or whatever. Like, okay, you know, you're going for a championship here. Like, you you need to make your team as good as you can. Uh, and then 
once you get beyond that, what the hell happens money-wise when Giannis is on a super max instead of the rookie max? Then, then how the hell are you going to afford to put a team around you? And then you look at the fact that all these guys are old, except for him and DiVincenzo, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, this was your yeah. best chance. Yeah. In the end, you weren't even close mm-hmm. with this team. I mean, uh, like I said, I don't think this Miami team is like some world-beating team. I mean, maybe they'll win the NBA championship and I'll be, they can, take pride in the fact that they lost the eventual champion again mm-hmm. uh but or you can try to explain it away because it's the bubble and they lost their momentum or whatever but Giannis was hurt remember when the hiatus happened um yeah. everyone should have been fresh so i i mean i think i'm saying number one our chances of winning a championship is here are very low and number two like this ownership group isn't you know they, they own the team they're very socially responsible but they are not as dedicated to winning as some owner, other ownership groups at a minimum. So I would be trying to get out of there. I think the timeline of the key players there is one of the biggest things. Um, and because the, they're, I mean, and they have commitments going out to these guys too. Um, when you look at Mid- Middleton's deal, okay, Middleton's twenty eight. He's probably in his in his prime. But Lopez is thirty one. George Hill's thirty three, and they're going to have such a hard time replacing those guys with equivalent talents as they Bledsoe is not getting any better either you really yeah I mean you're really banking kind of a lot on DiVincenzo turning into something uh, which Which I mean he's I mean he'll be he'll be a a good third guard maybe but to me like he's not he's not an offensive creator for you which is what they so desperately need yeah I I mean I think he can be but he's not right now certainly um so yeah it's it's tough then to to you know, the, I mean, the reason this team is awesome is basically Giannis, right? I mean, we shouldn't say it's just Giannis because they had a pretty good scheme where they, they were able to play pretty decently when he was off the floor even. But at the end of the day, I mean, you see it in these, in these playoff situations that there, there just isn't quite enough at the other, at the other spots in a high level playoff game. If that, if an opponent takes away Giannis, the rest of the, House cards kind of crumble, and there's no other option to say like, okay, you took away Giannis, okay, okay, you took away Jason Tatum. Now we're going to run a bunch of Kemba pick and rolls on you and see if you can guard that. And the Bucks have never really shown that other card in their hand. Let me ask you this question: If you were advising him, and your sole criterion was where is Giannis going to win the most championships, either this summer via trade or next summer? Where would you tell him to go? I mean, clearly the Clippers, right? How well? How's he going to get there, though? It just oh. <laughs> trade for Paul George. Yeah, <laughs> they, I mean, but that's but they don't have any other assets. The Bucks wouldn't do that, and they're going to be in the tax too. So a sign and trade would be too they're, difficult. So yeah, the 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 pro, there needs to be like with Miami. There's a credible threat, right? Because Miami has the cap space anyway, so that that makes it more plausible. Um, I I think it's Dallas. Okay. So Porzingis and Luca and Giannis, where you're basically going to play. Yeah, I'm trying to think how this how this all works. Yeah, I mean that that could be pretty potent. Um, Giannis is the role man, and also Porzingis stays up high, and and yeah, and Luca's got the ball in his hands. And and Rick Carlisle is going to make sure that you don't have some guard standing right under the basket when you're trying to drive. (laughs) The thing you wonder about is if I mean. You're right. If he wants to maximize championships, that that could definitely be be an option. I wonder if that's a little too second banana e for him. Maybe, but uh, you know, if you can't shoot and 
you're not quite a good enough passer and you can't really post up and you can't uh, create one-on-one offense in the half court, then you probably need to be a second banana if you want to win a champion. I mean, that's one of, one of the lessons that has come to me here in these last two playoffs is despite his regular season dominance, no, I don't believe that Giannis can be the offensive engine of a team that's going to win a championship. Uh, it, the main guy, the only guy. I mean, maybe you could have, you know, a number two, you know, like a Kemba Walker level, yeah. a number two, you know. He, but even, he, you know, Middleton is a good passer, but he doesn't put any pressure on the rim. He's not a great pick and roll player. Although yeah. I do, the one thing I do wonder, and seeing this as they just sort of like, all right, we're going to go to Chris Middleton every time at the end, that uh, the unimaginable playoff offense is, like, if they had really just a more, like, they really were just like, all right, we're going to milk stuff here. We're going to run more pick and roll. That if that's what they'd been doing instead of this egalitarian system that led to everybody committing turnovers in yeah. equal amounts at the end of game three, that yeah. maybe it would be better for them. But that's uh, that's that's just speculating. The reality is he has not played at the level that he needs to as the primary offensive creator at the end of games and in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think I think he's a more matchup driven player than some other guys are. Where I mean, because in the second round last year, Boston had nobody that could guard him, and so it was just destroy and pillage, right? Yeah. And then, but then. When you get a Kawhi or an Adebayo, you know, this small handful of players who can at least contain Giannis. And obviously it helps when there's a game plan to show a wall against him too, which I think the Heat have done very effectively and did it very effectively in the regular season too, as I uh, I pointed out in my article before the series where I still picked the Bucks. Um <laughs> <laughs> but 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 if he if if you have that player which who you know the best teams tend to and you can form that wall then he becomes a lot more guardable and you're and you're left with second option you know where you kind of see that too is with the greek national team oh yeah no he was uh he was not good with the greek national team and and they weren't good um so now he's 25 maybe he can put more stuff in his bag you know if he if he gets like a real turnaround jumper or like a just like a a mid range pull up or something like you know that could be a game changer for him. But yeah, his shot is so broken though with the with the free throws. Anyway, all right, let's take another break. That's probably enough enough Bucks talk here. We got a lot more to get to still. Yep. So I posted about this on Instagram last month. I just turned 40 and it was always my goal to be able to dunk at age 40 and I did it. But a few months ago, I wasn't thinking that I was going to be able to. I've had all these aches and pains and random muscle pulls and I just wasn't able to work out the way that I wanted to. I was getting a little bit too heavy. I was struggling to maintain my strength. And then Theragun became a sponsor and it worked out great for me because now my muscles feel great again. It, it's percussive therapy. You've probably seen it being used on the sidelines at, at NBA games sometimes. You just hold it in your hand and it releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. I used to have all these adhesions in my legs and my glutes, lower back pain. I was spending all this time trying to roll, but man, that is just so uncomfortable. And Theragun has replaced all of that for me. It's a great way to feel better naturally, treat your pain, and get back to the stuff that you love doing. You can try it risk-free for 30 days or your money back by going to theragun.com slash PER. Easy to remember because John invented PER. And for a limited time, my listeners get a free charging stand with purchase a $79 value. That's theragun.com slash P-E-R. Theragun.com slash P-E-R. Don't forget that slash P-E-R URL. Let's let them know that you came from us. 
Sadly, in the midst of this pandemic, we've been reduced mostly to takeout dining and the same thing for restaurants. And DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now, right to your door. I've been using them for a while and they actually just acquired another site, Caviar, which brings a lot of new restaurants into the fold as well. And they have now over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. You can either do your local go-tos or your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory. Open up that DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant. You can even scroll through there and find some new places, potentially, which I've done. And DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep the communities they operate in safely. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more, downloading the DoorDash app and entering the code LOCKDOWNNBA, the name of this network. $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKDOWNNBA. Don't forget, code LOCKDOWNNBA. NBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, so I teased it at the beginning. Let's just do this real quick right now. Uh, MVP of the playoffs right now for you. MVP of the playoffs. Uh, should I throw out some of the candidates here? Uh, so I, I, for me, it comes down to Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray. Uh, you got any other nominees? Yeah, I guess the guys who got eliminated, it's tough at this point for them to be an MVP consideration i think even with the 4 of 17 in game two i'd go with i'd go with Kawhi um as well and, and i mean murray has had three duds and actually really almost four duds mm-hmm. uh, um game 70 was 7 to 21 and yeah they did just enough but he you know he didn't he didn't play well in that game so uh yeah i think it would still be Kawhi even with the four out of 17 um what about just your uh all NBA playoffs first team. Uh, so I, I I can put Donovan Mitchell on that team. I think. Okay, so you're gonna put Murray on there too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got I got two spots left. Yep. Uh, it's where it gets hard. Uh, can I go with? Can, can I? I'll throw some other yeah, ones. Yeah, out all right, there for give you. me give me give me some Jimmy Butler probably needs to be one of them. Yeah, I, although, I mean, although actually you could argue for Bam. I mean, Bam's role has actually been the more crucial one if you think about it. Because he's the one guarding Giannis most of the time. Yeah. Although, I I don't know. He, I think, like, Iguodala and Crowder Iguodala are and probably Crowder more have minutes a, against him yeah, than Bam. Yeah, they've, they've done a decent job, too. By the way, when's the clock going to hit midnight on Crowder's three-point shooting? I mean, yeah, he, that's such an under-talked-about aspect of what's going on here, is that he's, like, back to the guy that he was in Boston in 2016, he, 2017. He was 28% for Memphis in, like, 50 games or whatever. Yeah. Well, and the fact that like everyone focused on Iguodala in that trade, Crowder was just a throw-in, and he's yeah. the guy closing games instead of Iguodala. Yeah, yeah. Iguodala is like like that Iguodala extension is like looking like a mistake, right? Hey, maybe they can trade him back to the Warriors into their seventeen million dollar trade exception and oh open up God. some more cap space. That would be amazing. I hope it happens because I I just although I guess we probably won't have any locker room access next year, but I was uh I I enjoy uh the repartee with. The, with Andre. Yeah, uh, I could definitely see that. But uh it Tatum has got to be in there, LeBron, yeah. AD. I mean, you had AD last last time. I don't think he's done anything to get kicked off of that list. That's true. That's true. Yeah. There've yeah. been a ton of amazing performance. I mean, with you know, we're not even Luka is now out of it too, but I mean, there's yeah. I think there's like 10 guys you could be considering like Kemba and Tatum you could talk yeah, about I had, also. Yeah, I had Tatum on my list certainly. Um, I mean, Harden has had a lot of good games, although some bad ones also. Yeah. So, uh, um, all right. So I think mine would be Kawhi. Oh, I guess Murray and Mitchell, even Jokic, have to be in there too. Go, go with AD. 
And you have to consider the quality of the competition too, I guess. So I might even still have Luca in there just for another week, although obviously that's going to drop off. Um, you want to talk this Lakers Houston series though? Yeah. Yeah. What do we, what, what do we think after, after last night? Houston had a chance to go up 2-0. Uh, Lakers played a, a pretty good fourth quarter. Rockets played a, pretty familiar fourth quarter where <laughs> James Harden kind of fades from the picture a little bit and uh and things just sort of happen and the other team ends up with more points uh, uh I, I mean can you remember has he ever looked this exhausted at the end of games before like I know the numbers on him in the playoffs mm-hmm. at the in the fourth quarter are not good but like he can't even move at the yeah, end of these games exactly exactly yeah it's really jarring and I really only noticed it this year so I I I don't know. Like maybe he's not, he wasn't like this in the regular season, though. Like if he was, if he was going against, like you know, I mean, maybe it's because he's giving more defensive effort. But like you know, he was totally fine in the regular season at the end of games this year, for my recollection. That's that's what I felt like too. And D'Antoni wasn't like pulling his lim- minutes way back either. But yeah, he's been, he seemed completely gassed at the end of all these games. And then Westbrook, oh boy. Um, oh, I I got one comment here on on foul trouble because. You saw why coaches sometimes are conservative with foul trouble. When Westbrook got his fifth foul and gave up three total matador, no effort at all layups within a span of two minutes because he didn't want to touch anybody and get his sixth foul. Yeah, that well, and credit the Lakers for going at him. Yeah, knowing that he had five, LeBron was all over that. Yeah, yeah. But that, I mean, he even like even against Markeith Morris, he was like, "Nope, sorry, not not going to try here." Um, what, now, what was interesting to me, I thought the Lakers defense, like the, the aggressiveness in trapping Harden, I thought it worked at times and at times it was a little absurd. Um, and they were doing stuff like they were trapping Eric Gordon and, and kind of a lot. Um, you saw they were up 24 and Gordon had the ball above the break. LeBron ran out of the corner and left the guy in the corner wide open. I think it was Tucker to go double Eric Gordon 40 feet from the hoop. It was like, what? that can't be the strategy, right? <laughs> it does. It does seem a little bit. I, I, I was critical of them in game one for, you know, doing the Harden will let you drive to your right hand whenever you want when they had the two bigs in the game. But that doesn't work anymore now because they don't have Capella out there. Just, yeah. and somebody guarding him to send him into. Cause like, if you let Harden drive, now you're just giving up a wide open corner three every time. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like, I mean, what is your just feeling on the tenor of the series right now after two games? I, f- I feel like I don't know. Like the, the one thing, I mean, so the Lakers, I think have definitely decided, okay, the way to play against these guys is small. I, th- I think they were a little, they, they wanted to see how it looked big. It was actually okay for them in game one, even though they lost. Uh, but I think JaVale getting hurt forced their hand. But I think even before that, Dwight Howard hadn't played. They played basically after JaVale's first ship in the first quarter. They played the the rest of it with either Davis or Markeith Morris at five. Like, I, I think I think that's how they've just decided they have to line up against this team, which aligns with my view going into this series. But I, I was curious to see how, how it looked. Yeah, that's uh, and JaVale being injured now, that's going to uh, – maybe they won't even – do that anymore and Marquise hitting four threes so so let me i'm gonna list the list of problems for houston versus the list of problems for the lakers and you tell me which list of problems concerns you more okay. let's start with houston russell westbrook mm-hmm. james harden being completely exhausted at the end of game so if it's close you it, your clutch offense is really a struggle 
you get killed when PJ Tucker is off the floor. And that's, that's about it. I would, I would say any, any other like big issues that you see for Houston? I mean, the related story would be just that the non Harden minutes are looking yeah. kind of disastrous. Yeah. Although they, you know, they, that's what won them in game one. You know, I mean, if you can get 10 out of 24 from Russell Westbrook, I mean, it's at the point now where those are the good games from him. <laughs> but if you can get that game one performance three more times in the series, maybe you could, you can win. Uh, I mean, I, a little skeptical of that happening. They seem to have uh, figured out Westbrook pretty well. And then, okay, so so here are your Lakers issues. Mm-hmm. The shooting issues haven't gone away yet. Like they, uh, game two is clearly unsustainable shooting for them, given what we've seen from them in the bubble. Yes, they're probably going to play a ton of Markeith Morris now. He's not any good. I know he hit four threes, but he doesn't do anything else at this point. Um, Rondo could turn back into a pumpkin at any time. He had a terrible game one. Yeah, really good game two, including defending for the first time in yeah. seven years. I uh, so I give the Lakers credit. They, I mean, part of the reason, or you would think, part of the reason Harden was fatigued. They picked him up full court the whole game, whether it was KCP yeah. or Rondo. And I do think that just you know just just had a had a sustained effect. Um, yeah. Uh, any other any other Lakers issues? Well, that, certainly that any out? any inclination they have to play Dion Waiters again would would be a yeah. negative. Do you see the play where he was just like just standing there completely inert, and then the pass went to the corner to his guy? He's like, oh, what? <laughs> is that the play he injured his groin on when he just was shocked to see the pass going to the guy that he was guarding? Like, to, yeah, who was PJ Tucker, by the way, <laughs> in the yeah. corner? Like, what? <laughs> Um, yeah, we may not see him anymore. And so, you know, Caruso, his shooting could be an issue. Rondo's shooting could be an issue. Like, I think yeah. to me, Houston has got to win this series on defense. Yeah. And by, and by making the Lakers a three point shooting team. Yeah. And I mean, their transition defense has got to get better. Their, their turnover, I mean, Westbrook seven turn. I mean, that was, I mean, can you remember a worse playoff game that anyone has played? Uh, other than Westbrook's game six against Oklahoma City, of course. <laughs> <laughs> It was it 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 was pretty bad. I mean, for for a player of that significance to play that badly. I mean, we've seen other bad playoff games. I guess. I mean, you know, like Jalen Brown was pretty bad the other day in game Oof, four. Yeah, but he didn't have the seven two. Like he's like Westbrook just because of how much he handles the ball. Yeah, he can the level of destruction that he yeah, can unleash on his own bad. team. Yeah, that's a good way. It's a good way to play. What like tactically? What do you think the Lakers should be doing? defensively because I like there there are elements of this trap that I kind of that I kind of like at times especially when Westbrook is on the floor like that they, they do have enough size and and mobility to kind of shut shut down what happens after the pass a little better than some other teams they've been a little crafty about when they do it they they don't just do it at half court like they wait for Harden to start playing with the ball a little and then they run at him but I feel like they need to be smarter about it at the same time don't do it when Westbrook is off the floor and they have four three point shooters. And, uh, I don't know, pick, pick some of the spots a little and don't do it on Eric Gordon, certainly <laughs> for starters. Uh, I don't, I don't know yeah. what you think. I mean, they, they, quoted, they went to a zone look as well, which I thought worked pretty decently. I mean, my thought would be let's try, you know, especially when we got Danny Green, Houston is not doing, uh, as much switching now also, uh, because they want to keep Tucker. On uh, on, on AD, Davis. I mean, I guess yeah. that yeah, that's uh, you know, I guess that doesn't really affect the offense that much. I don't know why I brought that up. It was a complete non sequitur. But uh, I, I would say uh, play Harden straight up at first. You know, if he starts getting 
the step back going. You know, you try to keep your good defender on him. Uh, you know, you can switch with AD and switch with LeBron and, uh, try to have Kuzma not match up against Harden as much as possible. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a little too common for my taste as well, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I think if you have, a, if you get stuck in the bad matchup, that's when you send the double and hopefully a lot of the clock has burned off by that point and they don't have as much time to exploit it. And, but if you have a decent matchup on him, I think you just try and play him straight up. And if he starts going crazy with the step back, he hits a couple in a row, then you can get it out of his hands. And I think they did a good job of switching things up, which you have to do against Harden also. But I think you just, you know, let him try to force him to drive a little bit more, use up more energy earlier in the game and just, have him be exhausted by the end. I put, I'd try Rondo on him again too. Like his pressure actually seemed to bother Harden. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. some degree, which is, I, I couldn't believe that. Um, yeah, and then picked, if I were picked, Houston, picked yeah. him for a layup even. Yeah. When was the last time you saw Harden get his dribble picked? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, again, that's the, the fatigue, right? Like is it's, he doesn't want to make a hard effort to get by him. So he just kind of shoves off or, you know, also I think Houston could, they need to like set the old screen that they used to like right at half court when they do that to get him downhill. But yeah. I'd like to see Harden in the post more against some of these guys. Uh, particularly like they brought that out in the OKC series against an absolute tank, but they never do it when he actually has an advantage. <laughs> right. When he's got Rondo on him, you're not going to post him up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I still like the Lakers. I think I, I'm sticking with my pre series prediction of six, but both of these teams have flaws that can be exploited. And, you know, after the next game, when the Lakers uh, shoot uh, 11 out of 35 from three again, maybe we're saying, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, they can't shoot and they yeah. can't score against this team. And it's Although, England series. Houston shot pretty well from three for, yeah. you know, and, and still lost. I mean, th- certainly the Rockets, the Rockets are not a great three-point shooting team. They are a frequent three-point shooting team, but they are not normally a great three-point shooting team. I think the difference is, though, is that, the other team is never going to just let them shoot. Like all those guys are capable. Whereas the Lakers, if their guys start missing, then you're just facing a crazy packed paint. Yeah. All right. Another break here. And then let's talk about uh, the other two series we haven't gotten to yet. Built Bar is back as a sponsor and they now have 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp, and your old favorites uh, as well. Hey, it's a protein bar that doesn't taste like it came out the back of a cement truck. They're great for the health conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber treat. It's great for a keto diet as well, which I just lost a bunch of weight on. And you can get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. RockAuto.com is a family business now serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com and you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The model of bricks and mortar auto parts stores is broken. What is the point of a bricks and mortar auto parts store when they're not going to have what you want in stock anyway for your specific model? So you're going there, you talk to the guy at the desk, he orders it, and it gets there no faster than it would if you just stayed in the comfort of your home and ordered 
ordered online at rockauto.com. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Their prices are always reliably low and the same whether you're a professional or a do-it-yourselfer. Why spend more for the same parts just because you're not a professional? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Make sure you write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. All right, what do you want to hit on next here? We should talk about Toronto Boston because it's been a you know it's been a pretty awesome series, and we're kind of giving it short shrift here. I think the tactical adjustments between Nurse and Stevens have been so fascinating to watch. Just the different little wrinkles they throw at each other. Uh, you know, game four, Stevens goes to a switching lineup with with Grant Williams at the five. Uh, some of the things Nurse has thrown out there, we haven't seen his whole bag of tricks defensively yet. Uh, but they've definitely started junking things up with different zones and whatnot. And I think that slowed Boston's decision making down and, and make things a little harder offensively for them. Uh, just a lot going on here. Uh, the, the early sub of, uh, did you notice how early he took out Tice and went with, uh, Time Lord in game four? I'd been advocating for that actually, because I think, uh, Time Lord just can't play more than four minutes in a row. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good Although point. he's a monster when that first, yeah, for, that, for those first those, four that minutes. That first up and back, he's awesome, right? So, <laughs> um, no, I mean, there, there's been a lot of crazy stuff. Who do you feel has the advantage going forward with it tied at 2 2 now? I still like Boston a little bit here. I still think it's easier for them to score in the half court than it is for Toronto. I mean, the, the Raptors have opened some things up, but the Raptors have also really had to push it just to get this back to 2 2. I mean, they're. I don't know if Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry just have crazy endurance or something. I mean, their ability to play like 45 minutes and still make hustle plays in the fourth quarter, like chase down yeah. a guy for a back tap or get an offensive rebound or whatnot. Is that like, they're like the anti-Hardens, right? Yeah. Nurse actually said this after the game, which is a, an interesting point is that there are so many reviews at the end of games now that if it's going to be a close game, like guys can always get their win back. And so mm-hmm. it's not as much of a concern if guys aren't as fresh right at the end, which I thought was an interesting point. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, you know, they've been able to get a little more stuff, uh, early offense type things, take advantage of their speed by, by forcing Boston turnovers. They've been able to force more Celtics turnovers than I think I might have expected. And, it hasn't really come into play as much as I thought it would, but Boston does have a little bit of a second unit problem with these guys. I mean, when you have Williams, Williams, and Wanamaker on the floor at the same time, I mean, there's just not enough shooting uh, to score consistently against a good defense. No, I, I think that's a, a good point. And yeah, the guards, you know, it's those guys obviously have to play well, and Lowry and Van Vliet have played better over the, the last couple of games. I like Boston as well because I still think that Tatum and Walker cause more problems offensively than anybody on Toronto causes for, for Boston. But it's, that's, you know, Toronto fighting back here. I mean, I still got Boston in seven, which is what I had before the series, but yeah. Toronto could easily win this series. I completely agree point. with that. I, I do want to say Jalen Brown, as bad as he was in game four, in game three played one of the best defensive games I've ever seen and was half a fingernail away from blocking the last shot by uh, Ananobi. Uh, yeah. And then Toronto obviously won that game, and now that's kind of shifted the series back to back to even. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're playing again tonight, so some of this will be uh, will be obviated uh, with the, this crazy pace that 
that were on here. But I, I do think obviously this was a big theme that they got to get Walker more involved because every time he attacks, something good happens. Like he is yeah. even more than Tatum, who I think they've, you know, OG can guard him one on one. And I, I think there's starting to really find some solutions against him where I think his performance has largely declined over the course of the series, particularly in terms of what kind of an impact he's able to have setting up his teammates and forcing defensive reactions. So I think it's really Walker where you just, you have to get the big higher out on the floor or do some sort of switching or something like that um, or force you into a zone. And so like he's the guy who forces the defensive reaction. So for him to only have nine shots, I think was a, a major problem in the last game. Yeah. And it, you know, I wrote about this entering the series, but when we were in Memphis, Kemba Walker was a, problem for us when he was with Charlotte uh because as good as Marcus Saul is defending pick and roll defending against that level of speed kind of pushed things past their comfort point where he had to either drop off so far that Kemba could get to his pull up or if he came up then it was you know Kemba was just beep beep and right by him so yeah I mean even compared to like Steph Curry in the finals last year like Kemba I think is causing more problems for Gasol yeah yeah, absolutely. He he's just his his speed with the ball combined with the ability to hit the hit the sudden pull up is really almost one of a kind. And I I think you're absolutely right. They have to get more involvement from him if they're going to score at a high level. I mean, their offense has really kind of tailed off these last two games. Yeah, and I think Boston needs to win the series on defense though ultimately. Like their 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 defensive performance seems to be getting worse and worse every game as well and credit Toronto smarts for finding stuff because you know it's not like they have these great one-on-one creators but they're yeah. just they're the, just uh, willing their way out of it the th- the three-point gods have had a role in this too oh yeah yeah I mean th- th- I mean you can definitely say hey Boston was seven to 35 in the last game and that I mean that's that is clearly the number one factor in them losing and they still were relatively close at the end um how about Clippers Denver I was really surprised the way the Clippers came out and just smoked them at the beginning of game two. But I'm sorry, the way the Nuggets came out and just smoked them at the at the beginning of game two. But maybe I shouldn't have been because the, the Clippers have done this all year, where they've had they've had random games where they just don't show up, and it it came back to bite them. And I, I think in the back of their mind, the fact that they know they can win this series and will probably win it in five or six games, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Maybe that made it hard for them to come out with like some real fire and venom. Yeah. And Denver was absolutely pathetic in game one as well. I mean, like Jokic, like Draymond Green did a segment on him mm-hmm. and his terrible defense. And he was actually good in game two. It was one of the better defensive games I've seen him play. And they, much like in the Jazz series, they really increased their effort level and, you know, maybe sent a signal to the Clippers that this is going to be serious. Also, just Kawhi is not going to go 4 17 again. Like he's, yeah. uh, uh that I still don't think they have an answer for him. Like he was getting the same shots. They just were like barely rimming out in that last game. Now he wasn't getting wide open dunks at the rim every time, which he was in game one. So that was a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, Denver coming out and showing that like they actually are a real team that you're, that they're going to have to deal with, I think is, was kind of the theme of game two. And even then the Clippers couldn't hit a three and Denver hit a a pretty good number of them. So that that'll be I, I mean i still think you know five or six is is what i'm thinking there obviously a win by denver tonight would change my thinking on that <laughs> right right yeah i said clippers in five going in so i'll stick with that if you're a clipper fan i think there were some things in that game that worry you uh the, 
Pat Beverly uh, played but was horrible. Uh, the the guards in general defensively, like when Beverly went out, Denver was pretty ruthless about attacking Lou Williams and and Reggie Jackson, and and they just got cooked. Um, and so that's that's a concern if you play a team with enough ball handling versatility that. If you have Paul George on one guy and Kawhi on the other guy, they can still go after you with a third guy. That That's a problem. Uh, I mean, the Clippers got a really good team, but I, I think some of their weaknesses were exposed a little bit in game two. Well, they don't have an answer for Jokic, assuming that this wrist issue that he's going through isn't going to yeah. be a huge concern. Like, if I mean, they basically have to double-team him in the post. They don't have another option for stopping him, it seems like. Yeah, I mean Zubats as good as he's been in the playoffs. I think this is asking a lot of him to to shut down Jokic. And yeah. then, I mean, when you when you do, you could see they went to Jamichael Green a lot in the second half. I, I think it's a bad matchup for Montrezl Harrell. Uh, Green. There's been a lot of bad matchups for Montrezl Harrell. Like. <laughs> yes. Well, there's <laughs> a little bit of a recurring theme here. Yeah, don't worry, Anthony Davis is in the next round. Um, and then. Uh, but, you know, Jamichael Green, we had him in Memphis. He plays stronger than he looks. Um, so if he can avoid, uh, he, p- he picks up a lot of fouls with his hands when he defends in the post. But if he can avoid doing that, uh, he can probably do a halfway decent job. And then obviously his spacing at the other end really helps, uh, can pull Jokic away from the hoop or put him in situations where he kind of has to make a choice. Uh, and, and neither option is great. So that we could see a lot more of Jamichael in this series. Yeah, and it could come down to, you know, are your Jeremy Grants and Michael Porters and Paul Millsaps of the world going to be able to make them pay for doubling? And I think that largely that's that's not a amazing situation for Denver. Uh, yeah. You know, Gary Harris, throw him in, into that mix too, although he hit his shots in game two. And so particularly when you've got Green at the five, or if they even go with Marcus Morris at the five at some point, the Clippers are just going to be able to outscore them more times than not. But at least to have somewhere that the Nuggets can go where they're like, yeah, you got a double team every time. I think that's that's pretty good. And it got lost because Gobert was so awesome and took away Jokic's post game until the last five minutes of, of game seven in that series. But Jokic in the post, now that he's lost some weight, has been killing everybody who is yeah. not named Rudy Gobert. And he continued to do that to do much. Like against a big center, he wasn't, you know, an awesome post-up option before, but I think now that he's got a little more quickness also, it's really big time problems for whoever's trying to guard him in the post. That's not, you know, if you don't have a seven, nine wingspan and, you know, great mobility. What about Kawhi? Yeah, they had a couple of possessions there. I think just because they knew they were running a pick and roll and they wanted to switch it. At the end of games, we might see that, uh, uh, particularly if they wanted to go with Morris at center. Yeah, because... Like there's nobody at the three four on Denver who you're like, oh, we got to put Kawhi on this guy. If you're gonna put Paul George on Jamal Murray, might as well put Kawhi on Jokic, right? At least try. I'd be interested to see that matchup. I think that Jokic could actually really hurt that matchup if they Mm -hmm. don't double team. Hmm. Um, but Kawhi's their strongest guy. We'll see. But Jokic is just so good with like using the leverage against the opponent and spinning off of them and getting. He's done some good stuff spinning off of people. Yeah, yeah. And if he can get into the lane, his touch is so good. Like the thing that was so crazy about what Gobert could do is like Gobert could like bother his hook shot, which there's not many guys who can do that. Kawhi, I mean, he really, you're betting on Kawhi, like preventing him from ever getting into position at all. Cause once he does, he can just shoot the hook shot over him. And Kawhi's got good hands. You know, I'm not saying he's not going to stop him. I'm not saying he's not the best option, but I still would favor Jokic in that matchup pretty significantly. Um, 
you got time to do a uh, worst team all playoffs here? Worst team all playoffs. We don't have to do okay. necessarily like a strict starting five, but. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, head coach Billy Donovan. Over Bud? Over Bud? Yeah, that's the only question here. Like Donovan so, took, they took it to a game seven. I didn't think they were going to get that far in that series. Okay. So I had Houston in seven going in. I, uh, yeah. so I'll give Oklahoma City credit. Their foul discipline in that series was really impressive. They did not let the Houston get to the line, which was yep. a very underrated thing. So I'll give them credit for that. Um, I, I, I thought they blew an opportunity to win that series by, uh, by sticking with Steven Adams and, and, have, and certainly having no lob option on the last play was sort of absurd. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, but, I mean, Bud's probably winning this still. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what, what else we got? Who are, who are our p- position players here? I mean, uh, Westbrook has got to be up there so far. Yes. And I, I hope he can get back to being a little bit better, but it seemed like he was on this path anyway. And yeah, he's coming back from the injury. He's, he's not a natural basketball player, right? Like he's, and I find that it takes guys like that longer to come back from injury and really get their rhythm again than the guys who are just, you know, say like a Chris Paul or something like just like you're the, the guys who just have like awesome feel or LeBron or something. Right. Like uh, Eric Bledsoe. I can I, I can I, nominate him. Yeah. Sorry. What I, were you saying? Uh, so that was going to be the name that I said. <laughs> um. Yeah. OK. That's our starting backcourt. Can we congratulate Michael Porter for his improvement to get off of this team, or is he still so bad in the first four games? No, I think he's played his way. Off. I think he's played his way off. The, uh, I mean, the Nuggets have actually been pretty significantly better when he's played. So I'd, I'd say he's played his way off the team. Um, you know who's been low key terrible except for one stretch of glory in uh, Game Two is uh, Marcus Smart. Well, he's always going to defend though, right? Yeah, that's true. But I mean, relative. Relative to where his bar is, right? I mean, I, I, I don't think this has gone that well. Uh, uh, Pat Connaughton, is he too much of a bit player? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, Kendrick Nunn would like to get a word in here too. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, they kind of need a little bit from him if they're not going to just run the, uh, if they're not going to just run their other guards into the ground. But, yeah. um, Re- uh, rel- again, relative to expectation, I would say Paul George. Harrell has got to be on there too. Again, although, I mean, to be fair, he did miss like a month right before this, but in terms of just what he's done on the court, like he's been yeah. a major liability. He's been a major liability in, in basically every game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say Joe Ingles had a disappointing postseason. Victor Oladipo has got to be on there, right? Oladipo. Yep. And while we're talking about, uh, guys who got swept, uh, Tobias Harris, I think has to make the list. Wait, they made the playoffs. <laughs> How long ago was that? That was like a lifetime <laughs> exactly. ago. Forever ago. Uh, let me throw another name out here for you. Pascal Siakam. Yeah, he's, I wouldn't put him quite up there with some of those other guys, but it has been a disappointment. I think, but the last couple of games, he's started doing like just enough, particularly in the second half. Yeah. To, yeah. to give them something. So, I mean, his team is six and two. So, uh, but uh, yeah, he's been a mild disappointment to me for sure. What did you think of uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander? You know, he had really only like two and a half good games in that series offensively. And I couldn't believe how bad he was on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He couldn't they- stay in front of a traffic cone. Like, it was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was really underwhelmed. I, I, 
after the season he had and the growth he'd shown, I was expecting a lot more than what we got. Like, why can't he stay in front of anybody? I <laughs> he should he should be able to like he seems reasonably quick right like, like people like, and he has like a, I, I mean I noticed that he got blown by a lot in college mm-hmm. despite having this great defensive reputation and you know he does weigh a buck eighty but it's not like he's getting his chest in front of the guy and then like they're just going right through him like he's just yeah. letting guys blow by and he's yeah. he got a good wingspan like he's good kid like I don't. I mean, maybe he just needs more experience. I don't get like there's. I mean, you know, maybe he's like the Robert Covington of guards. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Helps your team defense, but yeah, don't put him on an island. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um, um, and that was a that also, in fairness, is a really difficult defensive team to go against in the playoffs. Like they play totally differently than anybody else. I, maybe one of the big themes that we can take away here is if you have the personnel, because Miami too. Uh, switching still works. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. We've we've seen in a couple series. Now, would we say that differently if Oklahoma City had made a three pointer on the last play? Uh, well, they sure as hell didn't win the series on offense. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that's and we'll see. Hopefully, the Warriors will be back next year. We'll we'll see them employing that strategy once again. See see how that works. I do. I gotta say, I do miss having the Warriors in these playoffs, though. Like if. Imagine how awesome this West would be if, like, it was the Warriors instead of the Nuggets in that oh, series. Imagine, I mean, the West next year on paper. Oh my goodness, it's going to be ridiculous. All right, well, that's uh, that's a good one to end on here. Thanks so much uh, for joining, and uh, a reminder that you can subscribe to my podcast, Dunkdown.SupportingCast.FM. The link to that is in the show notes. We are now four days a week subscription over uh, at Dunkdown. And you can read John's work at The Athletic. And in fact, we're even offering a bundle with Dunked on Prime is what I'm calling the subscription podcast and The Athletic. If you are a new subscriber to The Athletic, you hasn't signed up yet, you can catch John's work there, get an unprecedented deal, and also listen to my other four podcasts per week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.